0: Have a seat again. Welcome to Boise City Fellowship. So glad you're with us. I, uh, I I preached last week, and I almost said last week, you know, I, I don't often preach here, so maybe once every few months. And I almost said last week, like, hey, if you hate my preaching, just come back next week. It, it won't be me. All right, you're good to go. Uh, and then Curtis called on, on, on Sunday afternoon and said, look, I, I'm going to be gone. I want you to preach. And we've been in a series on Daniel. I just want to say. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's humbling for me and it's a joy for me to open the scriptures with you. And so uh, I hope more than anything that uh, I take all the pressure off me in trying to give you some kind of sermon and we just put all the pressure on the scriptures which can handle it and ask God to speak through the scriptures. Okay, so Daniel chapter four, if you would turn there. I love the book of Daniel. This is a series that we're in. We have a few more weeks in this series, and uh, it's a powerful Old Testament book. By the way, if you ever wonder, hey, how, 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 do, we, how, do, we te- how do we teach the Bible here? So uh, we do our best to try to alternate, not always alternate, but we're going to walk through a, a book of the scriptures together and try to hit most, if not all of it, and then we're going to do more of a topical series. Usually those are a little shorter. Uh, but we try to mix that up, but we want to make sure that in a given year, you and I have walked through uh, multiple books of the scripture, most, if not all the way through. So if you ever wonder how we get there, uh, we try to pray through that and then uh, ask God, where do you want us uh, to land? And for the summertime, uh, it's this book of Daniel. So uh, Daniel chapter three ends, uh, Daniel, uh, I love how he ends chapters, it's, he puts these exclamation marks on the the ends of chapters, and Daniel chapter three, if you remember, uh, King Neb, and I'm just going to call him King Neb, because the guy's name is long, and I'm going to say it like a hundred times, so just, it'll it'll give you five more minutes at lunch today, all right, if I just abbreviate, so King Neb, uh, at the end of chapter three, after having seen not just three guys in the fire, but four guys, you remember this? He sees the three, they're not burnt up, and he sees the fourth, which is God himself in the fire. He declares at the end of chapter three, no God can save like this God. End of chapter three, drop the mic, right? And so chapter four picks up, and King Neb, at the very least, has a, a, uh, a deep appreciation for God and a respect for God. But it seems clear to you and I that he's not a follower of God. He is the follower of many gods, and Babylon, under his rule, was set up that way. Hey, you are welcome to follow the gods. We will not declare as a state there is one true God. So chapter 4 begins with this deep appreciation and respect for God but not a following of the one true God. And that's a distinction that needs to be made. So in chapter four, if you have the scriptures, if not, uh, I will read them. It won't be on the screen, but I'll read them out loud. And and, uh, let's dive right in. Chapter four, verse one through three is this declaration of who God is. And so let's read that. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and the wonders that the Most High God has done for me. So he's got respect. He's saying God has done some things for me. And if your, if your Bible is like mine, the next verse almost looks like poetry. It's because it represents a song. So I'm not going to sing it, all right? But, di- but uh, in theory, or at least uh, in the way that, that Daniel has written this, uh, King Neb could have sung this part. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Stop right there. There is a song in your scriptures, Psalm 145, and a few other places that echo this song. We don't know if, if the king is actually referencing a psalm, uh, but there's a good chance that he is from generation to generation. So he's, he's singing this out loud. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. In other words, I got a big old house, and life is good, all right? I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in bed. Fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Stop right there, right before verse 6. Anybody else deja vu? Chapter 2, the king has a dream, and really, it should, you know, we should really just say these are nightmares, All right, so uh, the king wakes up and he's very alarmed. He has had another nightmare. So we've already been through this in chapter two when he seeks out the wisest men in the country to come interpret this dream. Chapter four, same deal's happening again. Here we go again. King Neb's having some crazy dream and he needs somebody to tell him what's happening. Verse six, so I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me. Remember he did this last time that they may make known to me the interpretation of this dream or of this nightmare. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, they all came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make it known to me uh, its interpretation. So he brought the wisest guys in. Uh, they, they couldn't tell him what it meant. At last Daniel came in before me. He who was named Belteshazzar, which, by the way, is his Babylonian name. So when you see that, he's just saying, Daniel, he gives him this name. He calls him Belteshazzar, which just sounds cool, so we'll go with it. Uh, he's, uh, and he's considered chief of the magicians, so that doesn't mean uh, Daniel is into just some kind of pagan magic, but he means uh, that he is uh, one who is able to seek God and somehow mysteriously do things that these other guys cannot do. So he's chief among all of these folks who the king labels as magicians. Uh, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods, or maybe your Bible says the holy God, is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and the interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. And so in verse 10, here we go. He's saying, here was my dream. Here's what I saw. I saw and behold a tree. And if you write in your Bible, just circle tree right there. If you don't, then just pretend. All right, just give me a little... Uh, he sees a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and there was food for all. The beast of the field found shelter under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches and all the flesh was fed from it. Let's pause at verse 13. Pretty clear, right? He sees a huge tree It's beautiful, it's strong, it has a ton of fruit. All the beasts of the field find shade underneath it. It provides for the entire land. It actually says in the scriptures, you can see the tree from lands far away. Everybody got that That vision? Verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed and behold a watcher. So again, if you write your Bibles, just circle watcher. A holy one, this is considered an angel, by the way, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down that tree. Lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth. That's going to be key for us. Don't forget that part. Leave the stump. Bind it with a band of iron and bronze. Amid the tender grass of the field, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's. Mind be given to him, and let seven periods, or we believe seven years, of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know the most high rules, the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. Verse 18 This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are, for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So I'm reading this. We've already read chapter two. We know that Daniel is the chief. Of the magicians, We know that he's the wisest. He's already interpreted a dream. Why in the world does the king not go to him first? That was my first question. Like, why do you go through all the other bozos who have no clue what your dream means? Why not just go straight to Daniel? There's a couple things, and again, we're speculating here. But I don't know about you, but when you read this crazy dream or this crazy nightmare, if you're just to step back and go, all right, you're having a dream about a tree. It is prosperous and large. It feeds all the... And you're a king, the most powerful man in the world, I'm kind of thinking that King Neb has an idea of what this dream, or what this nightmare may be, right? And I get the sense that maybe he's hoping one of these other lowlier, less wise men will give him an answer that pleases him, right? So he asks all these guys, and then you go, he marches all these guys, the wisest men in all the country, tell me about this dream, and they got nothing. They don't know. My... Speculation is that these guys did not want to say out loud what they already knew—that King, this is this is no dream. This is a nightmare for you. And so it says he finally, and I think you know, gets the courage to invite Daniel in and say, "Hey, what is this? What is this dream?" Verse eight. Uh, Daniel uh, comes in and uh, begins to speak to the king. We see this. Um, we see this tree. You circled the watcher. By the way, seven years. Make sure that you make note that the, the dream actually had a beginning and an end period. Right? This is going to have a lot of application to us, I promise. I promise. And so uh, you will be humbled. It says you'll actually be made to be a beast, but it's not going to last forever. The one thing I want to say before we read some more scripture together is this. Did you catch in that passage where it said, leave the stump of the tree in the ground? And I remember just reading that a bunch this week, like, God, help us, what, what, is, what, are we, what, what is the scripture saying to us? And it's interesting because he was very intentional that that stump is not to be removed. By the way, we had a bunch of... Uh, tree folks around the property this week, removing stumps, and it's amazing. They got these machines, and they just go at it, and it's the loudest thing you ever heard, and the, and the, the wood chips are flying everywhere, and then uh, I walk away, I come back 20 minutes later, and it's like you could, you could plant flowers, and it's like it's soft, and it's, you know what I mean? But that's not what happens in this passage. There's no stump grinder coming to, the, to this tree. Leave the stump in the ground, and then it says what? It says put bronze and iron on top of it. And for me, I'm reading that, I'm like, I don't know what this means. What what, what are you trying to say to us, Scott? What's bronze and iron have to do with this story and then with me? And, of course, bronze and iron, especially in that day, really had a a, a couple things. It would keep people in, right? You're going to build a jail. You're going to build it out of bronze and iron. And so it is going to to, uh, uh, hold down that stump. That stump will not be able to raise up. Second thing is, bronze and iron are a form of protection. You're going to build a, a wall around your house that's probably going to have some bronze and iron in it to protect. And we see bronze and iron laid on that stump, and I'm going to walk us through what that means for us in a minute, okay? Um, maybe we're early on in this little sermon, but maybe you're here this morning and you go, I, I kind of feel like this is a message about pride, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people struggle with that, but that ain't me. Uh, I came this morning, I walked in the doors. we sang some songs, and I, I, I view myself uh, in a pretty bad light. Life has not been great for me, and I do not struggle with, with seeing myself as some kind of creator, some kind of uh, God with a little G. I see myself as just the lowliest, and I don't feel even worthy to even show up at church. I came this morning, somebody made me calm. I don't view myself in that light. And what we're going to talk about in this passage is not just pride as in the form of arrogance. We're just going to, we're going to talk about the pride of self and the enemy is very, very crafty and the enemy is very, very subtle. And what I mean by that is you may be here this morning thinking this doesn't apply, but I promise you this message is for all of us. And John Piper put it, put it this way, the, the strong man or the strong woman, they believe that the grace of God is not needed. I don't need the grace of God. Life's good. I got a job. I got a house. I got a family. It's not perfect. I do not need the grace of God. Maybe you can relate to that, but many of you, you walked in the doors this morning, you went, uh, I'm actually the weak person. And I really struggle with believing that the grace of God is enough for me, that the grace of God is sufficient for me. And what I want us to see in Daniel chapter four is whether you feel like you're the strong person, I don't need grace, or the weak person, grace actually is not even enough to pull me out of this. Uh, the pride of self will swallow us up on either end of the spectrum. And the last thing I'll say before we read the rest of the passage is this. The way that we view ourselves has massive implications on the way that we view God. In other words, if I view myself as the creator God, I'm so strong, I don't even need the grace of God, that clearly has massive implications on how, you, how I view God. If I walked in and I just went, man, I'm trash, my life is wasteland, I've actually considered taking my life, and the grace of God is not near enough to pull me out of that. That has massive implications on how you view God, and I want that to be made clear to us this morning. Let's pray briefly, and then we're going to read the scriptures. God, uh, we ask you to speak. We believe you speak. We believe you speak when we open the scriptures, and we believe because the Holy Spirit meets us that you want to speak to us. So um, as Allie and Nate come to read for us again, I pray that you would speak clearly to us, convict us, stir us, help us to know you more this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So if you're with us last week, Allie and Nate did an awesome job reading the scriptures. It's way better than hearing my voice over and over and over. So I asked them to do it again, and they obliged. So what they're going to do is read the second half of the passage. So what we've seen so far, uh, the king says a few great things about God, and then he's like, I had this dream. I bring in the wise men. He brings in Daniel. And now we're getting to the point where Daniel is basically about to unload on the king and say, here's what the dream means, and here's what you are about to go through the king so that you may be humble before the Almighty God. So let's uh, let them read, and then uh, we'll dive in.
1: Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all under which beasts of the field found shade and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down this tree and destroy it. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you until the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity.
2: All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell fell a loud voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of the heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws.
1: At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised him and honored him who lives forever. Let's read this together. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. For the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom and the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble.
2: This is the word of the Lord.
0: Say thank you to these guys, would you? Thanks, so? you Verse 19 says Daniel was alarmed. This is not a fearful man, but the alarm most likely comes because he, he hears, the, you know, even the first sentence of the dream, and he knows where this thing's going, right? And he knows he is about to be the bearer of some really bad news. And uh, I, you know, I don't know if he does what my kids often do with me. They, they've somehow picked up on this, that when there's some bad news, uh, even uh, our youngest uh, it comes in and says, Dad, there's some good news and bad news, you know, which just really means there's just bad news, all right? I don't know if he takes this approach or what we see uh, in the following verse, verse 22, Daniel presumably clears his throat and speaks with great boldness, that tree is you. And he says it to the king. That tree is you. And he begins to interpret this dream. The cutting down of that tree will be the cutting down of your kingdom. Uh, the idea of man becoming beast, you literally will become a beast. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't waste a bunch of time. He says to the most powerful man on the planet, that man's you. And you will be chopped down. All right, so Second Samuel. Uh, Chapter 12 is another instance where we have uh, a young advisor look at the king in the face and say similar words, it is you, Nathan and David. You know this story? Uh, David has, uh, he has sinned mightily, all right? I I know we're not ranking sins, but if we did, he'd be up there. Uh, There's murder, there's adultery, there's cover up. Uh, This is pretty intense and uh, he is found out and Nathan says, I know it's you. I know you're more powerful than me. Uh, I know you could kill me in an instant, but I'm going to speak with boldness and say, it's you. Much like what we see uh, right here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 23. He not only interprets this dream, y'all. So this is a weird dream. It's a weird passage. It's a weird nightmare. And the, the king is looking for some kind of metaphorical interpretation, right? He's hoping that the tree represents something else besides his literal self and that the idea that a man would become a beast, what is the metaphor for that? And what Daniel says, and we see it in verse 23, there's no metaphor involved here. The tree is you you will be chopped down. This doesn't stand for anything else. I'm not trying to give you some kind of crafty poem. Uh, Your kingdom is going to to come to an end. And so verse 23, he speaks with great boldness and he doesn't speak metaphorically. Verse 26, and what we mentioned earlier, and this is very important to you and I, he says there's going to be a stump left. You're going to be humiliated, you're going to be removed from power, you are going to be like a beast, but the stump of your kingdom and your authority will remain, and I'm going to cover it with iron and bronze, and there will be an end to your humiliation when you recognize God as the creator. This is probably the most important part of this story. God is not a God who is saying to him, I want to punish you because I enjoy it. He's saying to you, I want to to bring you to a place where you recognize me as the creator. And when you do, that uh, bronze and iron will be removed and the tree will then grow again. Are you catching this? That's a huge part of this story. That's verse 26. And then verse 27, Daniel gives this interpretation of this dream. The king, I'm sure, is troubled by this. And then in verse 27, he says, look, you have some time to avoid this, right? It doesn't have to go down like this. You have a chance, right? Verse 27, you have a chance to avoid the chaos and the misery that is in front of you. You have an out here. And if you look at that verse, verse 27, do not miss what it says. You have a chance by turning and then serving the poor, Right? That's not an accident. That's not just a little additional little item thrown in. He's saying you are so focused on yourself. You are so focused on your kingdom. You have a chance to turn towards God, to humble yourself, and the proof of that will be because you want to serve and love others. Please do not miss that this morning. That has application for you and I at the end of this message. And the king has a chance to say, I want to turn from my creator complex and start to serve and love others with great humility. Daniel says, you've got a chance to do that, verse 27. Well, verse 29, we jump to this, and it's, it tells us that 12 months pass, so a year, a year goes by no progress with this king. We don't know if he forgets the dream. We don't know if he thinks about this dream often. We don't know if he, if he has the same reoccurring nightmare. Uh, but if he does, it does not convince him to turn from his ways. He continues with the massive assault on the empires surrounding him. We know from history they, they continue to conquer lands, uh, to oppress people, uh, to bring people into slavery, and to add to the empire of Babylon. Twelve months pass, it tells us, and no uh, No progress. Verse 30 tells us, after a year passes, he walks up to the top of the palace. By the way, Google this. Palace of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar II. It's awesome, right? Uh, Archaeologists have had just a heyday with uh, Babylon, the the palace, uh, the gates, the, the The wall around the 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 city it 's an amazing amazing city, uh, even in in, in, uh, in by today 's standards and so he 's at the top of this what was probably the most impressive building in the world and he stands at the top of his palace and he says, I built this, and with all the gloat and with all the pride and with all the arrogance and with all this the creator complex that he could muster, he says i built this. All right, so if you know me at all, my favorite city by far to visit is Washington, D.C. I never get tired of that. Some of you, you love D.C. Some of you, like, I've been there once. That was enough. But I love D.C. I've been probably 20 or 25 times. Uh, I do pretty much the same thing every time, and I still love it. I go to the same monuments. I sit in the same spot. I go to the same restaurants. Occasionally, we'll try to find something new because there's always something to find in D.C. I love D.C. Anybody else you love D.C., a few of us? Like, I love going to D.C. And so, uh, About four or five years ago, I had a friend say, here's the spot in D.C. that you need to go to, and so I know you know the city, and uh, you think you know all the the best spots, but here's a a spot you need to go to, and and it's at the top of the W Hotel, which is a very swanky hotel. Uh, I've never been able to afford to stay there, so I just kind of sneak in and go to the restaurant at the top, but the restaurant on maybe the 10th or 12th floor uh, is amazing, and uh, do not go like, late at night, we made this mistake. I don't know if, Ryan, you weren't with us on that trip, but we went late at night, and it was like a, it was like a club. It was a like boom-chicka-boom-chicka. I was like, this is not my scene right here. This, I was coming just to see the view. But the top of the W Hotel, here's what you see. When you walk up, you get out of the elevator, and you're in just a normal hallway. You walk down that hallway, then you walk into the bar, restaurant area, and immediately you realize this is a view uh, that's unmatched, Right? Because right there, a block away, is the White House, and maybe one of the best views that kind of overlooks the White House. So there's the old Treasury Department between it, but then there's the White House right there. You can see the dudes, like the sniper guys up there. I love watching those dudes pace back and forth, you know. And there's the White House, and, and then as you, you just turn your eye a little bit, this way you see some, uh, some of the buildings. There's an old, really cool old theater that you see, but then you go this way and you see what? Washington Monument great view you see off in the distance the lincoln you can catch the new martin luther king uh, monument which is phenomenal by the way that's just one of the great new spots you've got to visit in dc when you're there you can see the the edge of the mlk monument you can actually see the air force monument you guys anybody seen this it's, it kind of looks like a, a two jets uh, flight paths beautiful and that's way off in the distance you can see the pentagon you come this way you see the jefferson you can tell I'm passionate about this, right? You see the Jefferson Monument, right? Then you come this way. You see the National Mall. You see the new African-American Museum. That's a beautiful new building. I think that opens up this summer. May have opened up. Awesome. Uh, then you go this way, and you can, if, you're, if you get far enough on the, on the view, right, Ryan, you, you can just kind of see the, uh, the edge of the Capitol. I mean, this is a view that is unparalleled, and I, I don't know why, but the first time I walked up there, obviously, I, I just was, like, overwhelmed with pride like i'm like i love this country like what an awesome city and what an awesome view but part of me almost was like i built this <laughs> you know and of course i had nothing to do with this i didn't lay a single brick and yet somehow in my like you know creator complex i just went oh this we built this i built this look at the country we've built and i'm like i had nothing to do with this I just get to come up here and eat a meal and enjoy the view. And you can imagine the most powerful man in the world in the most powerful, most complex empire, the most architecturally stunning buildings on the planet that have ever existed. This man walks up on his palace and he says, I built this. He actually had reason to say it. He he did build it. Alright, so Babylon in those days, let me tell you a couple things about it. It was in the form of a square. 14 miles on each side, okay? The brick wall, 56 miles long, 300 feet high. 300 feet high, you catching that? A brick wall, 300 feet high. 25 feet thick with another wall 75 feet behind the first wall, and then the wall extended 35 feet under the ground. 250 towers, just listen, this is amazing. This is is Manhattan right here. 250 towers that were 450 feet high. So 45 stories tall. There were 250 buildings at least that tall. That's unbelievable. Keep in mind, this is 500 years before Jesus. That's, that's the era that we're in. The Euphrates River, one of the most most um, uh, just a, a gateway in those in those days. One of the most heavily trafficked rivers flowed right through the middle of the city. Ferry boats would come and go. Half mile long bridge with drawbridges would close at night. How do they know this stuff? They're finding this stuff, by the way. That's, that's what's incredible. Uh, The Hanging Gardens, you've heard of these? Like one of the seven wonders of the world. There's still some debate. A lot of archaeologists debate if it was actually in Babylon or if it was 200 miles north. By the way, this is modern Iraq, and I'll tell you a couple things in a second. But uh, some debate about where the Hanging Gardens were, but we do know this for sure. King Neb loved gardens, and he built these crazy elaborate gardens in honor of his wife. So that's a pretty good gift. All right, fellas? So start building your garden right now. Uh, Eight massive gates that led to the inner city and a hundred brass gates that surrounded the city. Babylon was an unbelievable um, city. And then here's what you gotta know. When he stands on the top of his, uh, of his palace and he says, I built this, he's looking out at buildings, all of which every brick in the Babylonian empire carried the seal of King Nebuchadnezzar. And you'll see it. And how do we know that? I read this this week that they're, they're averaging one brick a day archaeologists. They're digging brick after brick after brick. All of them say, King Nebuchadnezzar II, hail to the king. He built this place. Go back to that first image, Bobby, that these are the isht- these blue gates. Anybody actually, I don't, anybody been to this site? Anybody? This is Iraq, so we're not all going on vacation to Iraq right now, but I didn't know if any of you have actually visited. Unbelievable. It looks exactly, so the blue, that blue kind of entrance there looks exactly like that, and then i looked this up. Again, this is, I have fun on Google, but if you look this up on Google, right about here uh, is Saddam Hussein's palace. So right at the edge of this historical site, Saddam Hussein's palace, many believe he put it there so that you know, when he uh, was at war, he wouldn't be bombed right there. Um, so, if you look on Google, Saddam Hussein's palace and then the Ishtar gates, and then just an unbelievable dig site for archaeologists. I tell you all this just to say this king looks over this land and he has every right, unlike me in Washington, D.C., he has every right to be like, I, I built this. He was actually an architect. Uh, a genius. He was a military genius. This man, this man was a proud, proud man. And even the most powerful man in the world uh, was made to worship God. And when he did not, God said, I will humble you and you will recognize me as the creator. Verse 33, uh, it doesn't waste any time. It says, these 12 months passed. The final straw was this, hey, I created this. I am the creator. And verse 33 says, immediately this was fulfilled. He was driven from men. He ate grass. His body was wet with the dew. means he didn't have any shelter. He was just out in the field. His hair grew long. Clearly, he had been driven from power. We don't know all the details of how that happened. What ha- and, and I read a lot about this this week. The man went insane. This wasn't like he just somehow, you know, it, there wasn't a, a, a genie that made him, uh, it didn't blink and all of a sudden he's in a field. He maybe over time, I don't know, but he, he, he had mental illness. He went insane. And I started to study this because I'm like, surely, is this like a thing? Like you see yourself as a beast, right? Uh, it's called, and yes, it is a thing. It's called Insania Zoanthropia. Which, uh, that sounds bad. You don't want that. You do not want that. And so what this is, there was a lot of studies in the 1940s around the Great War uh, where these men, especially in Britain, there were several cases in Britain where these guys, they began to act like a beast and then slowly their mind, they were convinced they were a beast and at first they weren't sure, Is like, is this legitimate? And then they began to only want to eat the grass and only drink of the water on the ground. And so they had to let them because they were going to die. They wouldn't eat any of their food. They stopped all communication. They were on all fours. They slept on the ground. So this is like a legitimate uh, mental illness. And we see this in King Neb. God took him from most powerful man in the world to I'm eating grass. All right, just confession time, too. As I'm reading this this week, I'm thinking about those who are powerful in our country. And I'm like, couldn't, like, both of our pres- presidential candidates just go through this till November? You know, like... <laughs> Could we not? I mean, God, is that wrong for me to say? I don't know. That's wrong. That's, I confess my, my sin. Just till November, both of them, just humble them, please, God. Uh, here's what we, we see in the scripture for seven years, uh, the king acts like a beast. For seven years. And do you remember the promise of this passage that there's, there's, there's a stump left? And we're going to see what that means for you and I. And so in, starting in verse 34, the king begins to come to his senses. Literally, the mental illness starts to, to, to fade. He begins to seek... Clarity, uh, presumably he starts to eat something decent. Uh, by the way, I didn't mention this, but these, these studies in the 1940s, the two main uh, physical responses when you have this mental illness is that your fingernails go really, really long very quickly and your hair goes really long uh, really quickly. So that's what happened to the king. So presumably he comes to his senses, he starts to eat uh, uh, decently and he begins to see himself clearly and then see because of that, he begins to see God uh, clearly. Verse thirty-six, and I think this is important for us to hear as we begin to close. God made a promise to him that if he comes to his senses and recognizes God as the Creator, that God will return him to uh, to his throne. He will actually be entrusted with more authority. And some of you, you're in a place where you're like, I don't know if I'm ever going to feel like me again. And when you and I begin to see ourselves clearly, we begin to see who God is, the creator, the, 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 the author, the one who is giving us life. God's saying, I actually want to entrust you with more, right? I want to restore you and I want to bring you to a place where in the kingdom of God, you're doing things that you never would have dreamt of in this In the name of Jesus. And then verse 37, I love how all these chapters end. This one ends, and if you if you write in your Bible, just underline this. Uh, But it says, and 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 the king speaks from experience. He says, uh, He, speaking of God, he is able, he is able to humble. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. One of my favorite writers, Tim Keller, says this. Pride uh, claims to be the author, okay? So I'm a songwriter. I love to write songs. Um, but, you know, I don't walk around claiming to have written Beatles songs, right? That's, a, that's not only a bad idea, it's, it's not true, right? I wish that I had written Yellow Submarine, but I did not. I'm not the author of that. And so pride says, hey, I'm the author. I am the creator. And maybe it's more subtle for you and I. Maybe we're not as dramatic as this crazy nightmare and this, this crazy, maybe it's more subtle, but it's still, it's, it's, we're there. Hey, I'm the author. Tim Keller says, humility claims unequivocally that God is the author. God, you are writing my story. And because of that, I'm not, I'm not low and depressed because of that. I'm actually overjoyed because life is a true gift. When we see God in that way, some of you, you're staring, you, you're staring some tough stuff in the face and you've come out on the other side and you just go, man, I, I, I'm not, I come out of that with, with, with a great sense of joy because I see life as an absolute gift from the Lord. And so when true humility happens in our lives, we see God as the author. And that means life's uh, a gift from him. And King Neb, just like us, he had this creator complex that he had to go through this humiliation in order to see that God is the author. God is the the giver of life. And so here's my, we're gonna close just maybe two minutes left. Here's what I ask you to do. Would you just put yourself in the shoes of this king? And clearly I, I get it that you and I don't run governments You and I are not stamping our seal on bricks, the bricks of our house. Uh, But you and I have some things that we've built. Some pretty successful people in this room. You've seen some things, you've done some things, you've worked incredibly hard. Many of you have sat across the table from you. And uh, if, if we wanted to, you and I could probably claim that we've done some really amazing things in life. I would just ask you to put yourself in the shoes of, the, of King Neb in this story. And I want to, uh, to ask you, is it, is it your job? Is it your relationship? Is it your is it your bank account? What is it in your life that you just go, man, I, I actually, I don't, I don't really need God's grace. I'm claiming myself as the creator. I want you to notice this in verse 34. And if you want to, maybe just scribble on the side of this. This is another song. Do you see how it's broken up in your Bible? At least in my Bible, it looks more like a poem. It's because as he comes to his senses, he not only just yields and throws up the white flag so he can regain his power, what happens is he immediately begins to praise, right? And we see in this, in this passage, the opposite of pride in the Bible is not some kind of humiliation. I'm going to be laid low. God's going to leave me there. Remind me that I'm nothing. Actually, the opposite is when we get up and we begin to praise, right? So in this passage, it's not that the king is forever laid low. That stump began to grow again and fruit, more fruit than had ever been from that kingdom was actually growing from that tree. He was entrusted with us to have a set sort of pride. is not just some kind of I'm going to lay low. The opposite of pride is a song of praise. That's true for you and I. And so, you know, this is a message about pride, but it's really a message about praise. Um, We were made to worship. We were made to worship the one true God. And I'm not here to say, look, God's going to strike you down. You've got 12 months and life is over. But he might. He might. I don't know. When I see myself as the creator and I've done this, um, I think God's um, maybe not so subtly saying, hey, I'm giving you a season to, to see yourself clearly and to see me clearly. Otherwise, you, I may need to remind you. We're made to worship him. So he doesn't do that because uh, uh, he's some kind of uh, authoritarian ruler. He does that because he is the creator and we are the created. Our response to the creator is worship." So here's what I'm asking you as we close. Do you have a Daniel in your life right now who's just saying to you, hey, it's you. That tree that is standing strong, just be, just be warned that if you continue on this path, this may not end well. And God at some point is going to have to be God in your life. Does that make sense? Do you, have you heard from someone do you have someone who's following the lord who is speaking that kind of warning to you and maybe this morning it's just it's just the spirit of God in the room hey I kind of sense like God's speaking to me right now like I, I've got I've got some I got some areas where I just need to confess it out loud and say god you are the creator God I want to be in response to you always I want my song of praise just to be responding to you second thing I would ask you is maybe you've You've actually heard that warning, and you're in this kind of 12-month, you know, by the way, it's not always going to be 12 months, but you're in this little waiting season that the king went through. He had heard the warning of the Lord, and he was kind of in this season of limbo, like I may or may not respond to God. And maybe you were just like, man, it's summertime. I'm happy to to head out of here and get Mexican food. I did not want to hear this this morning. Like, uh, I'm kind of good. I think that I've heard from the Lord, but I'm not ready to say that I just would... Again, I say with all just the humility that I have, I don't know how God moves in these situations, but if you sense the warning of God to put him in his proper place, this is is your chance to do so. Let's do that together. He's waiting for us. Last thing I would ask you, is have you been humiliated? Maybe it hadn't been to this extreme where you're eating grass. Maybe that is a more metaphor for us this morning, but maybe it's been, I've actually gone through stuff that I feel humiliated. And uh, I'm ready just to come to my senses and say, I didn't build all this. And I don't wanna be the one who claims creator and wave that flag. I wanna come back to the Lord. If you're part of our prayer team, if you guys would come and stand, and part of what we want to do is have a time of just response to God. These people are not people who are some kind of professional Christians. They are just people who love the Lord and who will offer a prayer for you. Many Many of them will say, hey, I've been there. What you just told me, like I've gone through that. So let me just lay my hand on your shoulder. Let's pray through that together. I also want to make one more invitation because uh, I think sometimes I get up here and we leave and I'm like, did we even speak the gospel out? Did I actually speak the gospel? So let me just speak the gospel clearly to you. Many of you this morning, you go, man, I, I've heard the stories of the scriptures. I've heard uh, a thousand times about Jesus. But if I'm honest, I don't know what that means to follow him. I know that the cross and the resurrection have some kind of impact on my life. I know that the cross is supposed to cover this, my sins. It's supposed to be my connection back to God, but I have never actually just said it with my mouth. I, wanna, I want that. I want to follow you. And so let me just speak the gospel as clearly as possible. When you confess with your mouth that you need Jesus, He will save you. It's not complicated. Romans lays it out pretty simply. And so I just want to invite you this morning if you're like, man, I never, I've never, I've heard it, but I've never done it. I want you just to come grab one of these men or women. By the way, if you're a woman, come, come grab one of these women. If you're a man, come grab one of these men, these men. If they're all busy, one of our other leaders will step up and pray with you. We try to just keep that, keep that going. So you have a man praying over you guys or women, you have a lady praying over you. But come grab one of these uh, men or women and just say, I want to follow, I want to follow Jesus. I don't, that guy, whatever we're talking about, just walk me through that. Okay, So let's pray together, then we're going to stand, we're going to sing, and we're going to uh, respond together. God, forgive us, forgive me when I uh, read an old passage of the Old Testament written thousands of years ago, and I, I, I assume or presume that it's irrelevant to me. It's not. Uh, your scriptures, from the beginning to the end, Genesis, the revelation through the psalms and through the gospels is alive and it's it hasn't it has a life-changing impact for us when the holy spirit breeds it and so god help us see this old story help us just sense god that many of us need to see ourselves clearly we don't need to think too low of ourselves so that somehow grace is not gonna cover us. We don't need to see ourselves too lofty where, hey, we, we built this, we did this. We need to see ourselves clearly in light of the creator. We as creation want to respond to you as the creator you are the giver, we are the recipient. This life is is the gift. God, help us just somehow wrap our minds around it as we see, as the king came back to his senses, but also help us wrap our hearts around it. So what do we do with that? We respond and worship to you. May that be true for Bayou City Fellowship. May we not act like we got everything figured out, but may we at least at the very least say we have figured out that we didn't create this, whatever we're doing in this room the music the great programs all the stuff we got going on here it's not ours it's not some, it's not it's not a product of people and if there's anything good here it's that you're moving and you're moving powerfully and may we just yield to you as the creator god that's our prayer i pray there's somebody in the room who just goes i want to follow jesus give them the courage to stand up walk up here and say what does that mean walk me through it And uh, God, we want to sing to you now. We're going to join these guys singing uh, as a song of praise begins to well in us, knowing that you're the God who has uh, loved us, pursued us, sometimes humbles us, but brought us back. And uh, we love you. We sing and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. You're invited to come for prayer. Let's sing and pray together.